had this on my heart for some time, so there's a change. I'm still doing the book of Revelation, doing three things on Wednesday nights, and I've had this on my heart for a long time and finally got a real release to, and figured out what I, what I believe the Lord wants us to do. So the first Wednesday night of the month, we have praise and worship. We have our, our communion and such, and then every other month on that first Wednesday, we also do water baptism as we will May 1st. So first Wednesday, first Wednesday worship second and third Wednesday. I'm teaching on the book of Revelation, so we're still pursuing that. I'll have lesson number four, you know, the second Wednesday in, well, I won't be here the second Wednesday of May, but the third, then I'll just keep going. So, and then every fourth, you get it? So every fourth Wednesday of the month, I'm going to do a leadership lesson. Now, I want to tell you why I'm doing that. Now, some of you think you don't need that, but you don't realize how much we all do. How many hear me? So, so we're going to go there. And so what we're going to do is uh, once a month, we'll teach on leadership the fourth Wednesday of the month. First, what's first Wednesday? Oh, you're good. What's second and third Wednesday? Uh, what's the fourth Wednesday? What's the fifth Wednesday? Ah, yeah, it's a free-for-all. There's no telling what we might do the fifth Wednesday. So every once in a while there is one. Nonetheless, here's what we're going to do. So um, what I'm doing now, I'm teaching a course that's going to take a year of Wednesday, fourth Wednesdays to go through it. But if you do every time, I'll give you a certificate of completion. Is that good? And you'll get a little certificate signed by us to hang on your wall. So that's why I want you to fill out this front. We'll do it different next time. My secretary was on vacation this week. So I, at the very end of last week, her last day of work before vacay, I said, I want this. So she did this, but she printed this out, and we'll probably have you do something, just, just sign, you know, just sign that you're here online or something the next time. We'll have all that figured out. But for this time, if you'll fill this out and just uh, leave it in the back, can y'all put a bucket or something up at the back and just drop these in it uh, at the end? Then uh, I'll know that you've been here, and then if we'll have a record of your being here every time we teach on leadership, if you get all 12 times and there's actually 11 lessons, this is an introduction tonight, then we'll give you a little certificate. And then after that, then there's all kinds of things I'm going to be talking about in the way of leadership. And this is, again, something I've been praying and thinking about for a long time. Let me talk about the why, um, why of this. Um, how many know that all of us from different backgrounds, obviously, uh, naturally, we have over 20 different nations represented at Victory Church. Uh, and, then, and then there's a plethora of different kinds of spiritual backgrounds in us as, as, a, as a body of people. So uh, you've had experiences uh, with church life. And so you, all of our expectations come from our past and what we've experienced in the past. How many have figured that out? So I want us all to get on the same page so, you know, for instance, uh, those in the medical profession say that uh, each cell of our body contains the DNA that makes up our whole body. So uh, each cell has that DNA coil that tells, uh, that tells your body that uh, each cell belongs to it and tells each cell what to do. So uh, what if all of us had the same DNA, spiritually speaking, for a person who attends Victory Church? Do you think we would be a body that's healthier? Yes or no? How many are listening? You need me not reading through that page. All right, so don't cheat. Let's talk. Let me talk. I got all this before we even get to your page, so you just will chill out a little bit. So I want to talk about, 
uh, I want to talk about a few things. Let me ask you a question because I want to talk about the word leadership. That throws some people that they don't think I need to go here. I want to tell you why we do. And I need to define my terms. Uh, so first question is, do you see yourself as a leader? See, a lot of people would say, I'm not a leader. Well, well, I'd like to change that thinking. I came to Jesus just before my 18th birthday. I didn't see myself as a leader. I was a follower, I thought. But then I found out later, it took me a little, a little while to figure it out, but if you're a believer, how many believe that you're called to make disciples of others, yes or no? I needed to find a term. Uh, the word disciple is unknown in our culture. If I say a disciple of Jesus, we don't even use that term. Is that true? Uh, a disciple is a Christ follower. Everybody say Christ follower. And what that means is a person who's dedicated their will to Jesus and they're following his example, his word, his way, and they're following the word of God and they're, they're living a life in the, uh, under the auspices of a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus and in dependence on his word. So that's a Christ follower, a disciple. If you're a disciple, by virtue of what we should be doing as a disciple, we're a leader. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? If you're a, a Christ follower, if you've committed your life to Jesus, that goes hand in hand with being a leader. Now, you may not be a leader of an organization. You may not be the pastor of a church. You may not be a leader on your job. But you know what? You're a leader of people because you're an influencer. How many know leadership is influence? Is that true? And I could just, we'll go through some scripture. All of us are called to influence others. How many get the idea, the thinking pattern there? So if you're called to influence, and we are, in that sense, every one of us is called to be a leader. So what if you changed your thinking to thinking of yourself not just as just an average believer, but as a leader, a believer who's a leader, a, a believer who's an influencer? Now, would that change you, yes or no? Yes or no? You know, the background of that for me is, you know, the truth is, and you've heard me maybe say this, particularly in smaller meetings with our leaders, two-thirds of any church do nothing of the people. They sit and listen. They come to church, occupy a chair, do some praise and worship, read the Bible once in a while. But as far as, as helping a local church reach the community, their arms are folded. They say, I, ain't, I, ain't got, I can't do nothing to help you because you got to help me. But the truth is, if you really want to be helped, when you put your hand to helping others, you get helped yourself. The best way to be helped yourself is to take my eyes off of me, put my eyes on helping others, and as I'm helping others, I get help myself. How many have found that to be true? You know, God called me to preach when I was 18 and a half years old. And uh, 18 years, six months, and it scared the bejeebies out of me because I'm the most carnal person in my world. To me, I was then, and I'm thinking, how can God use somebody who is so carnal to do something for him, not me? And you know what I found out? A lot of people think, well, I'm just not good enough. How can God use somebody like me to do anything for him? Because I've got so many faults and so many areas in life I fail in. And, you know, I'm just messing up so frequently. How in the world could the Holy Spirit ever use me to help someone else? Well, you know, the only people God can use is us. There are no aliens on the planet yet. He, if he's going to use somebody, he's going to use people. And the problem with people is we're all imperfect. 
You know, Abraham was a, no, was a nobody, nobody knew, that came from a moon-worshipping city, and God created the Jewish race from him. I think that's kind of a big deal. Do you? And I could go on and on and on. Moses was a murderer at 40 years of age, and God used him to lead, as I mentioned Sunday, to lead the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. You know, Gideon was a chicken. He was scared. He was a scaredy cat. He was hiding behind the machinery in the barn when an angel appeared to him and said, I've called you to deliver your people, people from your enemy. And he said, you got the wrong guy. He said, no. God said, no. The angel said, no, no, I don't. It's you. And he could hardly believe it. So how many know God uses imperfect people? people. Uh, David was a, was a lusting, uh, pre, a premeditated, murdering, adulterous king. And somehow God forgave the man and used him. How about, how about Peter? Now, Peter de- was a Christ denier, and, and he preached one of the greatest sermons that's ever been preached on the day of Pentecost, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 2. So you know what we need to do? Get over ourselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to get over me. Yeah. And now turn to the other one and say, you need to get over you. That's true, right? So, so if you got the idea that I'm not, you know, I'm just not the package God can use to help somebody else. You just got, that's just not true. God, God can use anybody. I mean, it's overused, but if God can use a donkey to talk to Balaam, he can use you to talk to somebody too, right? So, you know, so see yourself as a, as a leader, see yourself, see yourself as, as a person that God can use. So we're talking about discipleship, those that are Christ followers who have devoted themselves to follow Jesus. Those who are influencers of others, I would say, are leaders. Now, now here's the next slant that I want to give on this. Um, leadership, when, when, and there's a lot of books written now on leadership, and man, I mean, it's the rage worldwide. You've got leadership gurus that are ha- having uh, seminars every state in the U.S. and all over the world, and they're doing multi-site, you know, satellite connection things where tens of thousands of people are talking about leadership. But when you uh, compare what the world says is leadership and what God says is leadership, there's a huge twist to it. When God, in fact, in fact, listen to this. This uh, I got this from uh, one of the books. Uh, one of the books I try to read every year, and it's J. Oswald Sanders. The book is entitled "Spiritual Leadership," written in the early '60s. He. Uh, Oswald Sanders was a wonderful man of God, died in 1992 at age 92. Wonderful. And if you find any books by J. Oswald Sanders, read them. He's a wonderful man. I've gotten many sermons from him, believe it or not. Anyway, here's a quote from his uh, book, Spiritual Leadership, given the importance of competent leaders in the church and in business and government too. We might expect that the Bible would use the term more often. In fact, the King James Bible and, of course, in his era of time in the early 60s when that book was written, uh, that was a frequently used uh, uh, translation, King James, on which many of my generation have been nurtured, he says. Um, that King James Version uses leader only six times in that entire translation, he says. Uh, much more frequently, the role is called servant. We do not read about Moses, my leader, but Moses, my servant, and that's what Christ taught. So in my mind, when I'm talking about a leader, 
See, the Bible just puts the little caveat on the end, or the beginning, a servant leader. Everybody say servant leader. So in my thinking, if God's called me to be a leader, he's called me to be a server. Yes or no? Not a person for everybody to look up to that's on top of the spreadsheet and everybody's up under him or her. No, it's a person at the bottom holding everybody up. Saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless these people. They're servants. So um, just listen real quickly here. Here's some things that Jesus said, um, for instance, about uh, leaders being servants. Matthew 20, uh, and, and in fact, Matthew, uh, Mark, and I think Luke also basically say the same thing. I'll read Matthew's um, illustration here. Matthew 20, 25 through 28, New Living Translation. Jesus called the disciples together, them the disciples, and said, you know, the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Hmm. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others, not to be served, but serve others, and give his life as a ransom for Many, Matthew 23, 11, and 12, the greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Mark says almost the same thing as Matthew. Um, Let's see, Mark 9. Here's one, Mark 9. Um, After Mark 9, 33 through 37, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? They were talking among themselves, kind of whispering. Uh, But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Great, just great, guys. Uh, He had quite a crew. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be servant of everyone else. Then he put a child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. And so he's bearing the point of humility. Of course, in the uh, Gospel of John, Jesus sat down in a house, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, washed the disciples' feet. And he said, if you're going to be leader, you're going to be servant of all. And I'm I'm serving you. I'm giving you an example that you should follow after me. So, again, when the Bible talks about leader, the the greatest leaders are the greatest servers. Yes or no? So so I just want want to put that little caveat on it so we don't misunderstand what the Bible talks about when it it talks about being a leader. Here's the issue. If you want to be a leader, you disqualify yourself. Did you get that? If you got to be the big Pumbaa that everybody looks up to, that, that automatically spiritually disqualifies any person from really doing what God wants them to do. If you got to be, you don't qualify. So I, I, let me just, I, I can't have a lot of time because they got to move really quickly once I finish this one little part, but I want to introduce it well. I can just tell, you know, uh, let me just say this. God will um, put an anointing on your life. Uh, He'll give you uh, a skill, a gifting, an ability. Maybe it's to sing. Maybe it's to teach. um, Maybe it's to evangelize. Maybe it's to encourage others. Or maybe it's some other knack or tact, and you know it's the Holy Spirit. And you know he comes on you, and you know it's God. 
So let me tell you my experience, and it's the experience of many people in the Bible and many people that I personally know and just about anybody I know in ministry. God will, God will give you an era of time where he lets you see that he's inside of you, that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's witnessing to your spirit. He's talking to you about what to do, how to minister effectively, and he'll let you bear some fruit. How many hear me? And then, and then as you grow in God, you'll reach an era of time that God will back up and say, now we're going to do it differently and we're going to start dealing with you. God let me as a young man see that there was an anointing on me to, to teach and then later to preach and then later to pastor. But he put that on me and then for a period of time, I had to back up because you know why? It all went to my, to my little young noggin. And I was in my early 20s, and I, and I had to be a minister. I had to be in ministry. I had to, at the time, you know, it's not that way now, I had to wear the tie, the three-piece suit. I had an attache case because that's what everybody else in the 80s had. And my car is still spotless. Y'all can call it pride. I just like clean, okay? He still lets me do that. But all this other stuff, God came from my pride one day. And he said, Mitch, why are you doing what you do to be seen? Are you doing it for show? Are you doing it because you love me? And it was about, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but it was about a three-year period from the time I was 30 to about 33, 34. God did a huge work in my life about pride and about having to be in ministry, about having to be seen, having to be heard. And something turned inside of me, y'all. God, before that, you know, in the early 80s, and my early 20s, God let the anointing be on my life sometimes in a really strong way. But during that era of time, he just needed to make a change that if I'm called to be a leader, I'm called to be a servant. And the first person I serve is him. And when I minister, and if he lets me minister, he took me to the point that I didn't know if I'd ever get to minister again like I used to. I did a little bit on occasion, but nothing like I was. And I said, God, what's up? What he wanted was my heart. And what he wanted was an attitude in me is, is God, everything I do, whatever I do, I'm supposed to do as unto the Lord and not unto people anyway. So if I'm working, I work as unto the Lord. And I learned that as a young man in my teens. If I'm working in a grocery store at the time I was going to school and did, I worked as unto the Lord. How many get that? And then as I ministered, I'm to minister as unto the Lord, not to be seen, not to be heard, not to flaunt my skill or the skill God gave me, no, but just only for the glory of God. And the end result was, I remember the day I had a business and I was painting a house one day on the outside. It was just a miserable, stinking, miserable day. And I was covered in flecks of uh, paint. That I, was, that I was grinding off the side of an old house over 100 years old, restoring the house. And I was, it, was about, it was actually 97 degrees that day. I had, I had a big mask on so I wouldn't breathe in the paint. And I'm up there working and I'm sweating and I'm just miserable. And I thought about John being on the Isle of Patmos and I thought, that must be me. And then something came on me. And, uh, and Keith Green came on the, um, on the radio I was listening to the radio while I was with some ear things in, so it wouldn't hurt my ears with the sound of a drill. And, um, and he started out with a song from Philippians 1, He who began a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work, 
will be faithful to complete it in you. And they just kept singing that. And I started crying. I turned that drill off, and I was up on top of a ladder, probably 12 feet off the ground. And I started crying. I couldn't stop. I said, God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? And I saw it just like that. And I saw that God would ever use me again. He would only use me on his terms. And only if I didn't have to, but only because he wanted me to. And see, before, I had to do it because I had prestige. And, and you know, I, I had to look a certain way and had to carry myself a certain way. I had to be a, a man of God. And after that day on that ladder, I got down off that ladder. We finished the house. And something happened inside of me. And ever since that day in, uh, in 1990, um, it was 1992. I don't care. Actually, it was 1991. I said, God, if I never, ever preach again, if I never, ever teach your word again, just to know you, just to have fellowship with you, just to have the witness of your spirit on my life. That's all that matters. And you know, God will bring you to that point. He's brought me to that point several times in my life. And he'll bring you to that point too because if you're really going to be the person that called you to, God's called you to be, you have to deal with the human pride. How many hear me? So when you're talking about leadership, you're talking about humbling yourself. And we're talking about being a servant. A leader is an influencer. I've got to hurry, and uh, you got all these blanks. To f- I might let you fill in those blanks yourself. Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples, Christ followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, Christ followers, to observe all the commands I've given you. So, and be sure of this, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. So how many know God's called us to influence others? And that influence is called being a leader. Being a leader means being a servant. First Peter 3.15, Peter said, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Matthew 5.14-16, through 16, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp. This is not on your page. You won't find this. This is on my page, not your page. You won't find it. If you're looking, you won't find this. I always add. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So again, being a leader is being an influencer. And I could just give you oodles of scriptures just like this where where God's called all of us to be leaders. How many hear me? Again, I started out by saying two-thirds of the church world coast. Only one-third of the people in any local church of any size really, really do something, really get involved to help their community for Christ. So I want to, you know, you're the cream of the crop for me, those that come on Wednesday night. You don't have to be here. You could be at home watching TV. You could be working in your yard. You could be doing this or that. But you're here. That tells me you've made, you've made a, a, an extra step of commitment. That's why I want to teach this on Wednesday nights. How many hear what I'm saying? So we're, we're starting a course on leadership. This is the introduction tonight. I'm just trying to put some, just put a foundation here on it that a leader is a servant. So this course is about 11 core values 
that we have here at Victory Church. And again, if we were cells of a body, all of us need the same DNA. If we want to have a healthy body that works together, wouldn't it be weird for your body trying to help the, the person down the street's body? No, you're in a body. Every cell is helping you, right? So in a local church, we all need to work together. How many get the idea? So I'm teaching this because there are core values that make vic- makes Victory Church what it is. And this is the foundational level of teaching on a servant leader course here. And uh, that is the values that we have that make us who we are. If I can help you imbib that, then the better off we'll be. I actually taught this the first time in 2015 to uh, some of our core leaders who were volunteers. Some of you in here were here. It'll come out differently this time because anytime you teach something, you grow. Things are different, and it'll come out different this way. So there are 11 core values that we have here at Victory that I want to share with you tonight. Is just an overarching synopsis of view uh, or view of where we're going each week, of uh, each fourth week of the month, where we're going. So let's go over those values uh, real, real quickly, value number one. Everybody with me? And you can fill in the blanks. Uh, if you don't have a pen, raise your hand. I forgot to mention the ushers. Can, uh, uh, where are my ushers? Do I have any ushers around? Uh, we got a couple of people need a pen. If y'all can keep your hand up if you need a pen. So the no- value number one is the life-giving nature of the church. Fill in the blank, life-giving. How many know we're a life-giving church? Keep your hand raised up. All is well if you need a pen. Just, just fill in the blank, life-giving. You know, because there's so many churches in there. There's thousands and thousands of churches in America. One street will have three or four churches on it, all different persuasions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what differentiates this church from other churches you may have attended? I, the biggest answer for me is uh, we're life-giving, and what I mean by that, and it's a couple of, it's, it's in that second paragraph, a life-giving person is someone who has decided to live her, his or her life focusing on the love and grace of the Lord Jesus as opposed to the law. It's about intimate relationship, not rules. A lot of times you go into a church, it's all about, you know, being the status quo, acting a certain way, doing a certain thing, towing the line, being like everybody else. That is not what Victory Church is. What is, what is Victory Church? We're all about falling in love with Jesus, following him, letting you know that we care about him above everything else in life. And because we care about him, we just like you and love you. You get that? That's a whole lot different than a law field environment. How many understand that? When I first came, and I'll be real quick, and I will come back to this the next time. This is lesson number one. Uh, I was, um, I had just known the Lord a brief period of time, and just my personality, I'm a go-getter. I want it done yesterday, and that's just me, and I'm always on. I'm never off. I just have one switch on or off. And that's just me. I'm always busy doing something. And so I, I took that into my spiritual life, and I read the Bible voraciously uh, a lot, read books. I mean, it was constantly reading, constantly praying, constantly. If I wasn't working, I was reading, and that was just my life. And then eventually God called me to preach and went to Bible school. But before all that happened, I had a day off from my job one day, and I was laying on my bed, and I had been, I had known the Lord, I don't know how long, for months, maybe six, eight, nine months. I hadn't gone to Bible school yet. Uh, This was all fresh and new to me. And I was sitting on my bed, and I was reading. And it was my day off. It was a beautiful day outside. Uh, It seemed like it was a fall day, and my mother was outside raking leaves. And I'm in there being spiritual. To me, I'm being spiritual. And the Holy Spirit spoke up inside me and said, get off the bed and go to rake leaves. 
So I ain't ranking leaves today. What are you talking about? I read my Bible. I'm reading. I'm reading the book. I'm underlining stuff in the book and I'm reading. I'm not, no, no. He's, and he wouldn't leave me alone. He persisted. Get up off the, get, all, get up out of your room. Go outside and rake leaves. I ain't raking leaves. No, that's no, my day off, man. I'm reading. And what, what he was dealing with was I had this religious idea that if I'm going to be everything God wants me to be, I can't do anything natural to help somebody else. I need to be. And it was a religious thing. How many hear me? It was a law I placed on myself. Same thing happened. I started fasting, and I fasted Tuesdays and Thursdays every week. And I was in the middle of one of my fasts one day, and I had a really hard, taxing, physical job. And it just wear my butt out not to eat and drink water. And, and, you know, I'm about dead by the end of the day, you know. I'm working in a grocery store. I'm a kid. And oh, my life is just terrible. So uh, I never forget in the middle of my fast, I thought God was just so proud of my fasting. Because, you know, God, I mean, I'm after this, God. And you know what he said to me? I don't want you to fast again. I said, I know that's the devil. That can't be the Holy Spirit. I judge that. I judge that. It was, he kept telling me, you quit. You know why? It was law, not grace. How many hear me? And you know what? A lot of people in here, you've been influenced by the letter of the law. The Spirit gives life. No, we have the law as a guide until we know the Lord, but there are two laws that supersede that, and it is the law of love. When I fill my heart with love for Jesus and love for others, I fulfill those commands. And instead of living by commands, I live out of His grace, and that's a whole lot better than putting yourself under the law. How many hear me? So we're a life-giving church. Everybody say, we are... A life-giving church. We'll go into detail next time. Value two is the power of praise and the secret of worship. I love that. Or how to be intimate with God. It's down below that. And um, uh, just at the very bottom paragraph, because they've got to move quite quickly here. Um, Our God is no different. It says the bottom, uh, just three uh sentences up from the bottom of the page he has a sweet spot i love this for those who love and follow him there is power in praise and a hidden secret in worship that can change our lives forever while expressing our love to god how many know there's power in praise and worship and and it does something huge to god when you do that and i just you've heard this but i just got to read this and i'll move on and say nothing else about it and uh, malachi 3:16 i found this i was 18 years old when i found this page this verse and the first time i read it i wept uh because my friends and i would get together you know go eat eat ice cream at shoney's at the time or you know at the dairy queen or something and we'd be talking and and we'd always be talking about the lord and 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 I noticed some of my friends would never talk about the Lord. They're talking about sports, other events, but never talk about the Lord with us. And then, and then I read this verse, Malachi 3, 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And then God said, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the, days that I make, on the day that I make them my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Isn't that cool? So God takes note when we think about him. So when you're involved in praise and worship and you don't have to be, you're, you know, tooling down full 40 trying to get to work or, you know, you're a busy day and you're off by yourself, you're taking a walk, and you just decide I'm going to worship God for a little while. 
And even if you can't carry a tune to God, that's a special thing. And he makes a note when you think to, when you take time to think on him, that's a special prize to him. How many get that? So there's huge value in praise and worship. We're going to detail on that one week. That's one of our DNA structures, and that's what makes us who we are. Number, value number three, reading the Bible. Fill in the blanks. Uh, two kinds of knowledge. Uh, we have sense knowledge, and that is knowledge that comes through the five senses, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and uh, what did I leave out? Smelling, hearing, <laughs> seeing. Um, Knowledge that comes through the five senses or revelation knowledge. And revelation knowledge comes from the human spirit through the word of God. There's a difference. So a lot of people today, they don't even believe in anything called revelation knowledge. They say, if I can see it, if I can quantify it scientifically, I'll believe it. But God says, I want you to go to step beyond. You can't see me. I want you to believe in what you cannot see. And that is revelation knowledge. And the average person in the paragraph here, it says uh, that uh, the average person would say that if knowledge can't be obtained through the five senses, then it's not real and therefore does not exist as a Christ follower. We recognize there's another part of our being that can receive and obtain knowledge as well. And when we get to that part where we talk about the Bible and why we hear at Victory, the reason I preach and teach the Word, why the Bible is so important. And now we're living in a culture, Bibles are dusty, Bibles aren't allowed in public institutions, et cetera, et cetera, in many occasions, in school, in schoolrooms and such, because the Bible is not revered as it claims itself to be the very Word of God. So we'll talk about that in fair detail. And value number four is living by faith. Now, I talked about that uh, in a series for eight lessons on a Sunday morning, so I'm not going to say much about that. Tonight, we are to live by faith. We're to walk by faith. Um, we're to fight the good fight of faith. We overcome by faith, yada, yada. Um, so faith is the key. Fill in that blank that empowers you to live the abundant life. Um, then the next sentence down without faith you will find it impossible to please god but with faith the impossible becomes possible so we'll take a lesson and we'll talk about faith value number five talking with god fill in the blank and of course that's prayer and i love this paragraph don't leave your life to chance some people just believe that whatever will happen is already planned and there's nothing that cannot be done about it whatever will be will be and how many know a lot of people live that way so they don't have any faith in prayer that it'll really change anything because things are already set. Now, how's your prayer life going to make a difference? Well, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. So we'll go into detail on that. Sunday nights at six, I take a little time. We have a one hour of prayer from six to seven. We have worship, word, and prayer. So I always teach, but we're going to take this lesson and go into some detail as well. Value number six, attitude. How many new attitude determines what happens to your life. In fact, turn the page. Your attitude determines your altitude. So, I, I, man, I'd love this. This is a great lesson. Seven godly attitudes for believers. You're going to go into some very practical detail there. The way you think, the way you feel, the way, top of the next page, the way you look at life, make up your attitude, what lies before you, what lies behind you, are tiny compared to what lies within you. Attitudes are more important than facts. Yes or no? Yeah. It's not what happens to me that matters, but what happens in me. Several people have said that. One of them is also John Maxwell, a leadership guy of, of uh, 
uh, currently. Now, value number seven, finding forgiveness, fill in the blank there. Um, unforgiveness is like a raging fire that just ruin your life. Um, it'll burn up and destroy your relationships with your family, with your friends, with God. And it's got to be dealt with forgiveness. All of us have to deal with forgiveness. And what I found through my years of being in ministry since 1981, so many people think they have forgiven everyone, but they have patterns in their life. So let me just say simply, if you have patterns of people that you have problems with, if you cyclically have problems with bosses, with female leaders, male leaders, um, with, with boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, you know, husbands, wives, whatever, uh, those you have chronic problems with, there's probably and, and mo- more than likely a bitter root judgment coming from unforgiveness. What we do as Christians, and we'll go through this lesson really clearly, is we lump some forgiveness when we come to Christ and we know that we're, we're to forgive even as God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4 says. But what we do with that is we lump some of that and say, well, Lord, I just forgive everybody that ever hurt me. Unforgiveness is a sentence that's seated in the recesses of your mind, the subconscious thoughts, and it's always there, and it's always revolving. It's a judgment about something someone did, said, an experience that we had with someone in life, and we judge every other thing in life like that by that event, and that's called a bitter root judgment. All of us have them. I had them in my life, and I have to make sure that I don't obtain some as I continue living. Just because you're over something doesn't mean it can't creep back up, yes or no, because life is fluid. So just because you came an adult, became an adult doesn't mean that you can't revert back to childishness in some ways. Is that true? And just because you overcome a sin doesn't mean it won't creep back up. That's why we have to constantly examine ourselves, and that's where, why iron sharpens iron. That's the reason for close relationships, right? I have to deal with me constantly. In fact, the most troubling person in my life is me, and I have to challenge me because, you know, if I'm going to help you, I've got to mess with me. I have to slap my jaws every day. So unforgiveness is a really, really big deal. Finding forgiveness. We'll talk about that. Value number eight, sin's defeat. I love this. For Christ followers, look at that. I've got to hurry. Uh, sin is much like a parasite. I love this. It may be in your flesh and part of your body, but it's not you. You would not necessarily cut off your leg to deal with a parasite. You would deal with a parasite directly. It's not enough to know that our temptations to sin come from our enemy. We must know that we have the power uh, to resist the source of it. So to be, to be successful over sin... You must know the tactics it uses against you. It's essential that you become aware of sin's plan to steal peace, destroy confidence, damage your relationship with God. Sin is insidious, and we've got we've to knock it out at its root. So uh, you've got to be honest with yourself. So that's going to be a really great, uh, great lesson there, that value number eight. Value nine, giving back. I like this first sense. What, what do you have that is good that God did not give to you? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Right? <laughs> Everything from our breath to our money came from God. Anything we give to God is actually returning to Him a small part of what He has given to us. So, you know, a church operates financially on tithes and offerings. And this lesson is not just about tithes and offerings. It's about having a heart 
and is having the attitude of being a giver wherever you are and whatever you're doing. You give of your resources, you give of your time, you give of your talents, you give of your finances. You know, the mindset of a giver is so opposite of a stingy person. How many hear that? And any patriarch of the Bible, or really anybody that you know that is a spiritual person, the more spiritual you become, the less life is about you and more, the more life is about meeting someone else's need, sometimes even at the expense of your own. So a giving attitude is so important. It's a great lesson. We'll talk about that, value 10. Connected, one word. Relationship was on God's heart. We learned about the value of relationships first, not in university, sporting events, corporate America, nor even among soldiers in battle together. God put Adam to sleep and removed a part of him to create someone even more like him to relate to. The purpose of relationships is to enhance the quality of life. You know what I found out? A lot of people are afraid of relationships because they've been hurt. There is risk in relating to others, and there's risk in relating to people that you don't know, and those judgments come into play too. So actually, Sunday mornings, uh, this coming Sunday morning, I can't wait to start. I got to start. I'm, we gonna, I, I'm, gonna, uh, um, I'm just going to ask a question. How's your love life? Not your romantic love life, your heart life with other people. Can you love people? So we're going to do a series on, on what it looks like to love with God's love. And then after that series, I've got a, I haven't done this in years. I've got a series I want to do on relationships. American people have problems with relationships. And they hand, hamstring themselves. So this value 10, being connected, it's all about how you relate to other people. Um, relationships are the most powerful forces on the planet when it comes to developing behavior. Uh, my singers and players, if y'all are in the back hallway, y'all can come on out. You'll egg me on to quit. I just have one more. So y'all can come out because I think you're going to sing. Value 11 is God's messenger. How many know you're God's messenger? I love this. Many people live life without purpose. So the relationships and things in their life do not bring satisfaction. Christ followers have passion with a purpose, so life should, uh, so our lives should bring in, bring life in bland places. I love that. So uh, this next paragraph studies show over 75% of those who become Christ followers do so as a result of a personal relationship with another, another Christ follower. In fact, when I do my little class I do on growth track, there's a statistic that for every person that makes Jesus Lord, they have to have at least seven touches from a believer. So seven opportunities for someone to share Christ with them in some way before they even get interested in giving their life to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's an astounding thing. So all of us are called to be God's messenger to someone else. We're going to talk about how that works on that last lesson. So uh, being a Christ follower means living our lives in such a way, um, such a life-giving way that unsaved people around us want what we have. So look for open doors in all situations. I say if you're a bored believer, you're backslid. That went over big. If you're bored, you've lost your purpose and lost passion. Our whole passion is about living in a way that people ask us questions and it opens up the door for us to share who we are with them and share who Jesus is with them. Yes or no? 
So anyway, we got a lot of great things coming up. Uh, lastly, let me encourage this. I'm going to start doing this also on Sundays. If you have questions, comments, uh, ideas, etc., I do have an email address. You can email me, and I will email you back. I know that sounds like a tall order, but I'm a fa- you know I'm a, I'm a um, I'm a very orderly person, and I've organized myself fairly well. So when I say that, I can do it. So pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com. You got questions about what we believe, things I preach and teach, or, or just got something you want to share about your own life and questions about that, feel, feel free to give me an email and we'll chat and talk. And it, particularly as we go through these lessons, I'm sure it's going to stir up some stuff and it'll stir up some questions. Mm-hmm.